What's up? My name is Jordan Mitchell, and welcome to the third ever episode of the Finding Fugami podcast. On this episode, I'm talking to James Okina, who's one of my friends from university and is one of the most pure, well-intentioned individuals that I know. About six years ago, he founded an organization called Street Priests, which helps street children in Nigeria kind of transform their life and reach their full potential. Um, and he does a lot of amazing work with that. He was the founder, now he's a board member. Now he's the CEO of Erupt Art, which is an organization here in America that, uh, it's an organization that engages artists to try to create for change. And he's also a strategic advisor for SAP. He just graduated and was an RA while juggling all of this. But yeah, super interesting. I'm gonna stop talking now and get into it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Jordan. Thank you for that humbling um, introduction. Uh, I am really honored to be here. And really, in the middle of all of this, and you know, we can talk about all the things that I'm doing, but in fact, I'm just, I'm just a young man trying to navigate my way through the world. Mm. So with conversations like this, I think it's, it's brilliant. So thank you for this platform. Thank you, no worries. So I guess uh, if you just want to get right into it, your story is a very interesting one that I think a lot of people uh, would like to hear. So I guess how did you end up here in, in University in America uh, and what was that journey from Nigeria to here? Well, it's, it's a long one. It's a very long road. But um, I think, where do I even start from? So you talked about you know, my organization in Nigeria, and that's really where it starts from. But I'm going to tell the story from a slightly different path, sure. right? I founded my organization about one year just before I got into university. I graduated high school when I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. I took one gap year. So when I was 15, I started working. It was during the time I was working and I had different ambitions at the time. Mm -hmm. At the time, I wanted to start my own business. So I was working as a marketer for a company. Mm -hmm. um, and then I became the marketing director at 15, which was really cool because I could I had exposure into all of these things. Mm -hmm. Where I was just, you know, trying to market the product. It was like a local fashion company. Um, mm -hmm. Where I was just trying to market the product before, now I was into negotiations, creating proposals, mm -hmm. you know, talking about like a lot of money and all of this stuff. So it really exposed me to leadership, negotiation, mm -hmm. um, like making deals and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I didn't know this would become very crucial in my work later at, at the time. Yeah. But when I got involved with my work one year after um, I started working, which coincided just before I got into university at 16. Mm -hmm. um, and this is University in Nigeria? This is University of Nigeria, the University of Calabar. I was um, studying business management. Okay. And so I was really curious. Mind you, my choice of business management was informed by the fact that I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I wanted to you know, build businesses. Mm -hmm. um, that was my passion, which led me to, my to the work I was doing at the, at the time. Yeah. But when I got involved with this, at first I told myself, you know what? I'm going to have work on this for five years. That's literally what I told myself. 
-hmm. I'm going to work on this for five years and then I'm going to leave and then I'm going to go back to businesses. Okay. To you know, founding business and doing my thing. You're talking about street priest. Yes. Like you're work for so I said I was going to work on street priest for five years. At the time, it wasn't even street priest. I had no name. Mm -hmm. I was just. I just knew I really cared about um, this children and teenagers. And I. I feel weird saying children because at the time I was 15. Some of them were 14, 13, yeah. and so the, I was a child as well. And we're about the same age, mate. So. Yeah. Um, but I just couldn't turn an eye, and I think. Um, as we talk about purpose, I think this is one of the things that comes to that comes to the fore mm -hmm. um, for me the most. I think many times our perception of what purpose is is what the problem mm. might be and where the, the the challenge we find ourselves um, yeah. lies the most. Um, as long as I was concerned, even though my heart was with the kids. Yeah, it didn't look like what I imagined my purpose would be. Interesting. Like, didn't look like when you imagined it before you went into it. Yeah, not before I went into it. No, but when I think of, when I thought about my life and my mm. purpose or what I want to be known for, or what legacy I want to leave behind, mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking street children. Mm. So that was the, that was the discrepancy. You yeah. know? So I had that dissonance for a very long time because. Even when people started knowing me for that, mm -hmm. I didn't feel comfortable with it, mm -hmm. you know, because I wanted to do other stuff. I wanted to build businesses, you know. Yeah. And at the time, I was also, you know, very passionate about, and I'm still very passionate about young people, even though I've, I'm still a young person and I was a young person. I'd yeah. go into high schools, organize seminars, I'll bring in speakers. Mm -hmm. I will, um, I did a lot, I think in 20. Between 2014 and 2015, mm -hmm. the conferences and seminars I organized in high schools had over 20,000 students. Really? Yes. And you're like 17 at the time? Yeah. No, I was 16. Really? I was 15, 16 thereabouts, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I would literally use my money, maybe talk to a few people, talk to a few friends, mm -hmm. organize um, resources. And, and going to these high schools. Is this the money that you were making from... My your... business, yes. Uh -huh. So um, I, would, I would do all of these things and, um, and I was just extremely passionate. I'm still very passionate to see my country mm -hmm. develop. I'm still very passionate to see young people do well. Like it's one of the things that I've always known, right? I'm also very passionate about seeing the continent develop. So I wanted to do everything I could to, to mm -hmm. help out. If I watched the video with TED Talk that I felt really impacted me, I wanted to share it. Mm. So I don't even wait to have a conference. I'll share it with close friends. When I'm having a seminar, I want them to watch it, you know. Um, and I can still remember so many videos that were really inspiring to me at the time. Yeah. And for me, it was about the most simple things. Like there was this kid mm -hmm. in, in Kenya whose, um, whose grandmom had an issue where her cattle, because she lived on the edge of the national park, Mm -hmm. um, park was always Akaro was always being um, killed by lions and hyenas and all that stuff yeah. and this kid was trying to think he was about maybe nine years old was trying to think about ways to help his his grandmother mm -hmm. and he had an idea usually lions won't come near either you know see either perceive that someone is there like with a flashlight with a flashlight 
so um what he did was he basically put lights on the on in different strategic you mm, know areas, areas yeah. and had them blink mm. like someone was turning and turning throughout off and on night. yeah throughout the night basically that was yeah. what he did and it saved his grandmom mm. cattle other grandmothers around the area who kept cattle as well asked him to come and install the same thing mm -hmm. for um for them and he gave a TED talk about it and I found it very inspiring because that was just a simple idea yeah and young people always feel like they're not active agents in their own lives um I mean not you of course <laughs> and <laughs> I mean and I hope you realize how much of an outlier you are but most young people don't feel like they're active agents in their life they feel like most things are happening to them yeah um and okay. that was something I wanted to change interesting and I think even I go through that as well Mm. And was there a specific turning point where you were like, okay, I have to make this change, or was it gradual over time? The turning point in my own personal life first mm -hmm. was, um, so for background, I come from a very religious home, mm -hmm. but I never had a connection to spirituality. I had never had a connection to God, yeah. even though we went to church on Sundays um we had morning devotions for me it was just the only thing that fascinated me by that was stories mm. and that's one constant in my life stories have always fascinated me yeah so you know it was a story so when my dad begins to tell a story about maybe a character in the bible or about an experience he had because he always he also liked to tell stories yeah then my eyes would lit up like that's what i'm paying attention to but every other thing wasn't real to me mm -hmm. right um when my parents separated in 2008 um it was such a drastic change in my life mm -hmm. i can't even begin to tell you um i think the best way to explain it was that one day all i was concerned with was go to school come back home, eat, be a good kid. I re literally didn't do anything. I and my brothers, we literally, we didn't even know how to tie our shoelaces. Really? Yeah. I mean, in a sense, you can say we were spoiled, mm -hmm. you know, but we were very, we came from a home that was very disciplined, mm. but it was kind of, you have only, you, you just concentrate on being a good kid, doing well in school, eating i never thought about what the next meal was going to be yeah because i just know that okay you show up at the um at the dinner or lunch or breakfast table and, and food is ready and you eat and you go back to the study mm -hmm. or whatever it was so it was very regimented within play with kids outside mm -hmm. um when we were growing older and it was like you know we're eight seven six five that age yeah. where you really want to play with other kids and you really want to play soccer and stuff um the more we agitated for it instead of letting us go play with other kids the compromise was here's your own soccer ball mm. here's your own ball this is play time basically just was so regiment just yeah. me and my brother so regimented and as we're playing, my mom is watching. Yeah. If you fall the first time, she's counting one. <laughs> fall the second time, two. Fall the third time, come inside. Okay. <laughs> so it was that way. And then yeah. the next, the very next day, 
it's like the whole world just turned upside down. Mm. We now have to wash our own clothes. We now have to think about what to eat. For the longest time in my life, the question, what would you like to eat, was very traumatic. Yeah. Because it literally took me back to that time when it was so... I, I didn't know what to say. Mm. Because all of that was thought for me. Everything just happened. Everything just happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I am, what, eight years old, nine years old. I'm an adolescent. I'm at the point in my life where I need parental guidance the most. But mm-hmm. I don't have it. And yeah. freedom, which is one of the things that drew me the most to children on the streets. Freedom is dangerous. Especially mm. when you don't know how to use it. And when you're young. When you're, exactly. And also as a child, you don't have a good concept of risks. Mm. You know. Um, And then, there is, I'm going to school. There's that need to try to fit in. Yeah. And as kids, you do anything to fit in. To look cool. Yeah. You know, so I began to do a lot of, like, crazy stuff. I began to... Um, I began to hang out with the wrong... I, and in retrospect, I understand that that was just me seeking a sense of belonging, um, first and foremost. That you weren't finding at home? Yes. Be, yeah. So gap. I was trying to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. No discipline. I have one day. There's a time to go to bed. There's, a time, there's what to eat. There's all of that. The mm. very next day, I have all this freedom and I don't know what to do with it. Mm. So I begin to shoplift, I begin to flunk school, I begin to do all kinds of things. Um, and that was by far the darkest period of my life. Mm. And um, for me at the time, it was like, I knew I was made for something more. I, I knew that inside me. I didn't know how to express, that express it, it right? Um, many times I'm doing those things, I'm stealing... Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, we're just, you know, causing trouble, up to no good. And it's like I'm beside myself looking at myself. Mm. That was literally, it was almost like an out-of-the-body experience many times for me. Because yeah. I can't believe I'm doing this, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm doing it. Yeah, and it feels like you want to change it. But yeah, but I can't. Yeah, I exactly. don't have... You know, I'm watching all of this happen. I'm literally tied to a chair mm-hmm. and forced to watch this happen. And um, so for the so for the for about four years, my life was off the rails. Mm-hmm. And and then until you're like twelve or thirteen. Right? Yes, until I was. Yeah, that's very apt. Twelve, thirteen, thereabout. Mm-hmm. The, the first domino that begins to set off a course of events for me was, and of course there's a simplified version of the story, but just because we're going in that, the first domino that set off the course of events was that we moved, like we moved houses. Mm-hmm. And so I lost those friends that I had in the neighborhood mm-hmm. that I was being truant with. I also changed schools, so I lost those friends as well. Yeah. And was that just like your parents got a different job or? That was my dad. My dad just moved. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, I don't, it, there was no reason. I think we're, we're moving to a bigger house and he had been looking for that for a while. So mm-hmm. um, that was just, that was just what happened. And um, so I was even more lost. Mm. But the only difference between when we moved and um, before 
where I was before yeah. was even though I was lost, I had some clarity and less pressure mm. and less peer pressure to do those things. It, it coincided with when my um, I had a, a cousin, I guess I can call him a cousin, mm -hmm. um, and he moved in and he just had a way about his life. Mm -hmm. He was a Christian as well, but it was not a Christian like me and my brothers were Christian. Yeah. He, he really knew his stuff. Yeah. Unlike us who just went to church, didn't know why, did stuff, we didn't know why. Mm -hmm. He had a sense of meaning to mm. why he did everything. So in that sense, we were religious, he wasn't. Because he, he knew why he was doing what. We were just doing what mm. we were told. Yeah. Right? So we knew what, and then somehow he knew why. Mm. That's interesting. There's a, a parable I was listening in a conference call the other day uh, that someone was saying something similar. It was unrelated. It was talking about an organization, but where there's these three people working at a construction site, and this person asks, what are you doing? And the first person says, I'm laying bricks. Mm -hmm. The second person says, I'm building a wall. And then the third person looks up to the sky and is like, I'm building a cathedral. Wow. So I guess in that sense, that that's exactly me. what it is, right? Exactly. And in, in, I think the same paradigm works for spirituality as it works for every area of life. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and because he knew exactly what, why he was doing what he was doing, he had more results. His life looked a lot, a lot more different. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, it was very inspiring. I never told him, but I really, really admired him. Um, you know how you look at someone and they're everything that you... Mm. you want to be the yeah. everything that you're not and that was what he was like to me he was very given very generous mm -hmm. very very wise mm. and how old was at the time he came he was probably 18 or 19 okay very wise very disciplined mm. so many things that i i wanted to covet so um i began to i began to talk to him about his I wanted to learn more at the time I'd never been anywhere like lived anywhere outside of Calabar yeah and Lagos is the largest city in Nigeria and la the most popular city in Africa as well and he lived in Lagos all his life so mm -hmm. I'd quiz him I'd be like you know tell me what life in Lagos is like and yeah. all that stuff so he really began to tell me about his life and I found it very inspiring he had gotten out of school when he was 17 and you know he began to work earn some money but here was the kicker mm -hmm. his he told me that at the time because he wanted many people to get the because he also had his has his own story with his own like a time in his life where he wasn't sure and all that stuff mm -hmm. and then he said it was the bible and his relationship with god that mm -hmm. gave that centered him and gave him like that discipline and that peace yeah. and all of that. And so he wanted to do that for other people. Mm -hmm. So when he gets his salary, he would half it mm -hmm. and, you know, organize, like go into communities and, and, and give them materials and talk to them and come back and, you know, um, fellowship with them and mm -hmm. help many people, you know, get their life on. So I was listening to all of these things yeah. and I'll never forget this particular night he was telling me all of these things but what he didn't realize was that i was crying mm. i was crying because i was like like that is it like that feeling of 
I know I'm made for something more, but I don't know what it is. Mm, you saw. I saw it, it. I was like, that is it. I yeah. want to help people. I want to serve people. I want my life to count towards something. Mm -hmm. and, and it was that night I made up my mind. He, he, he didn't know what happened. It was later on that I would tell this story and he would know what actually transpired that night. Right. And um, something happened, we finished the conversation and he left. He couldn't see that I was crying that night. Mm -hmm. um, but as he left, I just sat there and I just said what I would call a simple prayer. I said, God, if you're there and you can hear me, I need your help. Mm -hmm. I want to be more. I want to do more with my life. And um, for me, it wasn't just another prayer. It was really, when you talk about a turning point, mm -hmm. that was a turning point for me because that day I made up my mind. That whatever I have to give up, I will give up. Mm. Whatever I have to do, I will do. It's like someone who's drowning. Mm. They would cling on to a straw. They would yeah. do anything, right, to, to, you know, to leave again. Because I was yearning. I was alive, but I wasn't leaving. Mm. I was leaving, but I wasn't alive. Mm -hmm. and, um, and for me, that was a turning point. That was really where I made up my mind that I really wanted to serve people. Um, and you know a, a constant and that anchor mm. for me now became my spirituality i now had to start learning all over again all my life i'd gone to church but i knew nothing yeah you know i had no i really wanted to if this was psychophancy i wanted to know because i now had this brutal honesty or would i say um frankness to, mm -hmm. to life it's weird to explain but i was no longer willing to just accept something because the pastor said it or because it was said in church or mm -hmm. because what I, it was what i was supposed to do i wanted to understand why mm -hmm. and i wanted to know this god for myself if if it is true mm -hmm. that he exists if it is true that he and i've heard for with my cousin for example and that he's changed his life I want it to be true for me as well. That was my attitude. So mm -hmm. I began to study the Bible for myself for the first time in my life. Yeah. One time I, I spent the entire night just studying for myself and I would begin mm -hmm. to pour in hours studying, listening to, 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 to teachings um, on particular Bible verses, trying to understand all of this stuff. So that was really the turning point in my life. But there are two critical things here. Mm -hmm. One was that epiphany that mm -hmm. I want to serve people. Mm -hmm. Two was the values that grounded me in my newfound, um, um, in this newfound alertness, I guess, to awakeness to um, spiritual realities at, at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so really, it was also deeper than me just wanting, wanting to have business, you know, at the time when I was 15. Yeah. And this is after you had that understanding? Yes, this is after. This, uh -huh. this is, before then, I had no, like, life was foggy. I couldn't see past. Yeah. That was the scariest part as well. Because as a kid, I read a lot. And if you know anything about people who read, they imagine a lot. Mm -hmm. So... In that period, what was really scary for me was the fact that I could not see past the very next day. 
Mm -hmm. It was so dark, it was so foggy. I couldn't see the past the very next day, so that was scary. Yeah. So when I came out of that, it was like this new, like new vistas that opened. I could see mm -hmm. colors again, mm -hmm. and um, there was this desperateness. It, 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 another way I can describe it is someone who has a near-death experience. When they come out of that, there's a new hunger to life. Yeah. There's a new outlook on life yeah so like a switch as well yeah so for me it was also one gratitude that oops i have a second chance to do this all over again yeah i'm going to go all the way i'm going to go hard and also i should also have this because it's very important in the social context of things mm -hmm. i was known as this kid who lied a lot mm. who stole a lot who cursed a lot I was the best example for for the bad example for every parent. Mm. And did you still have that reputation after you had switched? Uh, so I still had that reputation. I mean, the switch was known only to me in and what happened in there. Uh, yeah, I meant um, like when you had moved to a to a different house and like a different school. And no, I didn't. So all of this coincided. So this was when I began to have a new reputation. But oh. all my old friends. Mm -hmm still knew me for those things yeah. right um and so for me it, there was also this need why i didn't want to be known like that yeah. even when i was in the middle of all of that i didn't want to be <laughs> known for that because that's literally everybody yeah. you know people hurt people don't mind lying yeah but they mind being called a liar true people don't mind stealing but yeah. nobody wants to be called a thief true so that was basically <laughs> where I was at the yeah. moment but and I desperately wanted to change that so I began to throw myself into these things and really my desire to impact other young people like me stemmed from one I was like you know if 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 this could happen to me it can happen to anybody and that's mm -hmm. also one of the things my personal empathy is also rooted in I don't care where someone has been I don't care what someone has done I don't care what the mis what their mistakes are mm -hmm. I know two things one is that they deserve a second chance like everyone else two is that they can get a second chance mm. with the right support with the right help they can get a second chance mm -hmm. so those were the two things i knew and no one could take away from me i wasn't a an expert with human development and all of that stuff yeah. but i was an expert with my experience mm. i was an expert with these two things so i majored on that and you had gone through it firsthand so yes sure. so i majored on that so fast forward now uh, and um fast forward now to when i met those kids mm -hmm. there was that connection of course now because of this background and and these kids sorry which kids are you thinking of? the kids on the streets when i first oh, encountered okay, yeah, yeah, them yeah. right so i just befriended them it started with one I, mm -hmm. I just befriended them and i i couldn't turn away i helped that one and then he brought his friend and then they became five and then they became ten at some point, there, were, there was a time where I would be walking on the street to try to get to a place where we can get food or we can sit down and talk. And at some point, at some point there were times where I would be working on the streets, mm -hmm. on a major street with about 30 children. Just following me. Just following me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it, was, it was really, it was, those are very interesting times. But anyway... What I told myself at the time, because coming back to purpose now, mm -hmm. my idea of my purpose was I'm going to serve people 
by being a businessman by that was my idea mm -hmm. now helping disenfranchised youth teens children mm -hmm. did not look like it mm -hmm. so there was that dissonance and even when you first started it you didn't think it was the end goal even two years in three years in mm -hmm. i didn't think it was it, that was it right mm -hmm. i felt it was accidental mm -hmm. and you have people you know calling you oh you're a very good guy yo this is that street kid guy mm -hmm. and i'm sitting here like i want to be known f like that's not just me like i'm more than that like so I, I was, I, you know, so I fought that, right? Um, and I would learn a valuable lesson later on. Mm -hmm. um, and that lesson is that with purpose, it's not what. Mm. It's, it's who. Oh, oh. It's who. Interesting. Why do you say that? And basically what that means is purpose is not what you're here for mm -hmm. like many people would define it mm -hmm. purpose is who you're here for hmm. i've never heard someone say that before purpose is who you're here for and those kids were my purpose mm. these people were my purpose and i would come to see life through this vantage point mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter the route I get there, the who is the center. Is the center. Mm. And what led you to that understanding? Was there a moment or again was it a gradual understanding? So I feel like it's it was a combination of both. It was a combination of a gradual understanding and a um and an epiphany mm -hmm. you know because i i reflect a lot and i used to reflect a lot at the time and i can remember one time when i asked myself a question mm -hmm. i said what if what if maybe i'm not supposed to set up these businesses what if i'm supposed to serve and help these people so they can set up their businesses mm. What if I'm supposed to help these people so they can be successful? So it was, it, it, for the longest time, it was in form of a question. Then it came to the point where I now really accepted that actually, that's really what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason why I say who is you need to understand that whether it's, whether it's your mom, whether it's your brother, whether it's your sister, whether it's your friend, mm -hmm. whether it's someone across the world whose story you can't shake off your back whether it is um whether it's yourself mm -hmm. it's always about who mm -hmm. and it's not about a large number of people yeah. right um in my case in my work for example there are over 150 million children across the world but until joshua is standing in front of me 150 million is a statistic. Mm -hmm. You and know, then it's not a person. It's not a person. See the face. Yeah. So, as long as I was concerned, Joshua, who was in front of me, 
was who I was here for. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, you don't even have to think about it as your entire life. Like this is who your entire life is here for in this moment. Mm -hmm. Who are you here for? Mm. So that's basically, um, that was basically that thing that kicked off that switch and literally freed me to be able to do everything else. Mm -hmm. So tying it now back to your first question. Yeah. I was now in school. I'd been in school for three years. But sooner, no sooner had I got into university than I had realized that school wasn't for me. And I and school wasn't for me just practically because and I'm I mean different people have different reasons. But for me it was just very practical. What I was doing at the time, mm -hmm. it wasn't valuable to it. It just didn't match up with what it didn't match up what I was trying to do. And what I was learning was completely different, found it impractical. The people mm -hmm. who can tolerate that, the people who can even live with, through that without even thinking, but I can't. Yeah. You know, I think about and I reflect a lot. So I felt it felt like a waste of my time. Mm. It felt like a burden. It felt like a financial burden. It felt like an emotional burden. It felt like a mental burden. It felt like a burden in every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't even very social in school because once I go to school, once class is done, I'm out. I had what? My class had 500, about 500 students. Really? I didn't know up to five. <laughs> And this was your university? Time? University in Cal un the University of Calabar. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also a very large university for context. There are about 60,000 people. Mm -hmm. And the whole university is, is probably the size of Boca. Mm. So it was a pretty massive university. But once I got one for Plaza Mark, you yeah. know, today from that university, I only speak to two classmates I had. Really? Yeah. And that was just because I was so invested in my work. School felt like a distraction. Mm. So um, I had, in my third year, I had about Watson Institute. At that point, I was already getting ready to give up on school. I wasn't ready to even go to another school. Mm. I wasn't even seeing myself in academics anymore. It was mm. just like, I'm going to do what... And that's another thing about, you know, uh, you know purpose. Like, I think there's, there's just this thing about purpose that changes your... Um, your your symbols of success change change as well. Mm. Um, your um, and you see this in many you know great people, right? Um, you're willing to go under the fire because you feel you feel more centered. Like your 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 soul is yearning for something that all these arbitrary things that most of the world would you know live through yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't suff suffice for you right mm -hmm. um and and you know you know go to high middle school high school um university get a job um get married raise a family and in a house the typical yeah, yeah basically but and I don't want to knock that, just in case someone is listening and that's all they want. Yeah. That's okay as well, right? I mean, different mm -hmm. people want different things. But I guess when you're so centered, you, you're you willing to go against the grain. So for me, it was like, you know, whatever. Um, but then I heard about Watson. I was like, major in your mission. 
And was this Watson the bachelor program or Watson the incubator program? So the bachelor's program was launched, was just launched. We are the pioneer class. Mm -hmm. And I can remember even trying to want it, you know, like test the waters by going to the incubator first. Yeah. Before committing to the committing to the you know whole thing so in my form they gave the opportunity to say are you interested in both mm -hmm. and i said i was interested in both and when i got on the interview and all of that um i can remember megan who interviewed me um she still works i believe at watson at boulder mm -hmm. megan christensen she said to me that it doesn't make sense to um, do the semester incubator program and then later on do the the degree track program mm -hmm. um, because think about the incubator as one semester in your you know three years so you might yeah, as yeah. well just you know go in so I thought about it for a while um, and I was like okay this is a huge leap but it was all it was scary it was exciting mm -hmm. as well because the prospect of also you know, doing something different, you know, than what I was, you know, really excited me as well. So yeah. that was how I was like, okay, I'm just going to go all in. I was in the middle. I was, you know, back and forth for months. I was the last student who resumed. Really? Yeah, I was the last student who resumed um, classes. I can remember even I applied for my visa mm -hmm. two weeks before you had to come. Before I had to come. <laughs> I bought my flight ticket 48 hours before I flew to Miami. Really? I was on, I was on the flight from Calabar to Lagos. Yeah. To pick up my visa the next day <laughs> and travel the very next morning. Really? When I bought the ticket <laughs> to Miami. <laughs> and that was just because you weren't sure if that's the move you wanted to go? I was so unsure. I was so unsure that I wanted to do this. It was also very scary. I had a lot of stuff going for me. Mm. Um, and then here is an organization that was now, what, three years old? Mm -hmm. And the first class of that program yes I didn't even think about that part really? so much <laughs> to be <laughs> honest I mean I thought about me adjusting to school as an institution and not knowing what that would be like but I was just thinking about like is this like is this really what I want to do like here is here is a a, a, um, a, a class that you know what if I don't like it? What if it's not for me? What if it's, mm -hmm. it doesn't fit in? But greater than that, am I chasing the wind? Mm -hmm. Because here is something that I'm doing. Here's something that I love. Here's something that's working. Here's an organization that I've now built that's three years old, that's thriving. Um, mm -hmm. And without a shadow of doubt, I knew that was, that was what I wanted to do. You know what actually was the, like, was like okay this is it i'm going all in yeah for me i was having this conversation i was still very unsure i was i i was in switzerland for about a week for the Bef program we yeah before i came back to nigeria for three days and flew to miami hmm. 
and I was talking to someone mm -hmm. and in Switzerland in Switzerland um, Shruti is her name she's just amazing mm -hmm. and she and I was going through the motions with her and she talked to me about the concept of making decisions out of love and fear mm. and I can remember at the time the other thing was if Watson works if Watson is what they say it is it's great for my work because I'm going to have a larger network I'm going to have the right tools and at the time mm -hmm. I was also and I'm still obsessed about the problem of street children on a global scale yeah. but I was increasingly getting obsessed about this problem on a global scale and I wanted to do something on a global scale as well because when you're working on the grassroots level it's like you know you it's like fighting a hydra headed monster yeah. you know you cut off one head you help one child to replace grows in its place yeah and it's hard to i imagine it's hard to tell that you're actually doing something. right it's also hard to you know actually tell that you're making progress so mm -hmm. i was like okay maybe i'm maybe i can i need to look at this from a systems perspective um and at the time i just thought from a global perspective yeah. so there was that that was also burning in my heart you know, mm -hmm. in on on in, underneath all of this, and Shruti is having this conversation with me, and she said, "If if you don't go, mm -hmm. would it be because of fear or love?" Mm. I said, "It will be because of fear. Fear of the unknown. I just mm -hmm. don't know what's on the other side. Yeah. So I want to hold on to what I have right now." Then she said, "If you go." Mm -hmm. Would it be because of fear or love? I said, definitely not fear. Fear is not motivating me to go. It would be because of love for what I do. Love for being better. And love for, for doing much more than what I'm currently doing. But generally, love for what I do. Yeah. And then she said, I think you have your answer. What do you mm -hmm. want to do? Act out of love or out of fear? Interesting. And that was that was that was it for me. I knew I was going, and I knew that no matter what it was, I was willing to I was willing to jump out of a plane and build my parachute on the way down, regardless of what it was. And mind you, I I was also committing to so much debt by getting on that plane <laughs> because of you know <laughs> the tuition here, yeah. and I don't have any parents that's going to assist me with this tuition. I don't know nobody that's going to assist me with this tuition. Yeah. I can remember sending Andrew an email. I don't know if I should say that. I'll say it anyway. <laughs> I remember sending Andrew an email. I, I, I said to him, I said, I don't have, I was supposed to raise $10,000 before I resume. And he didn't. I didn't have that money. <laughs> and I remember telling Andrew, sending an email to Andrew and I t telling him, hey, I don't have this money. Yeah. I wish there was another way to tell you because I'd been spending months trying to fundraise and I'd, I'd, I'd be, I don't think I'd raise more than $500. Yeah. Coupled with the fact that I also have issues with asking people for money for myself. Asking people for money in general, it's a lot easier when I'm asking for a for good cause for work. Yeah. yeah. But so I can remember this. I said, I don't have this money, but I'll, I give you my word. If you let me come, I'll find a way to raise the money. And it was like, okay, you can come and you can, you know. So I was like, okay, this is really, really wild card. What if I can't <laughs> raise this money? What if I can't raise $10,000 yeah. um, at the time? That was just so I could come. 
and immediately I paid that, you know, mm -hmm. um, I had another $13,000 to pay. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was so ridiculous. So yeah. I, I mean, so I came and the rest is history. You know, I was able to pay off all that money by raising, you know, money and all that stuff. But, you know, um, basically that was how I arrived at Boca and, that's mm -hmm. how Boca has become my home for the last two years. I want to go back to something you said about the grassroots um, aspect and, mm -hmm. and how you wanted to look at it from a wider perspective. Because like, I haven't worked with nonprofits before, or at least not on that direct of a scale. Um, but I imagine that working on that grassroots scale at the beginning mm -hmm. would be super valuable. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess just if you have a perspective on that and the the value of that as opposed to just looking at it from a, a large systems view that's a very important question because i feel like you can't solve a problem if you're far removed from it mm -hmm. so that's where the primary value of being um at the grassroots level come becomes crucial mm -hmm. um we talk about you know working with people as opposed to working for people in fact yeah. there's a quote that i love by um and it's by an indigenous um australian um activist mm -hmm. and she said if you if you've come here to help me you're wasting your time but if you've come here because your liberation is bound up with mine then let's work together mm. so i think it points to fundamentally this idea that you can just stay from somewhere and propose solutions. Yeah. And many times those cause more harm than good. Um, and even, this is even very valuable as business, as you know, with businesses as well. You yeah. know, if a business does not understand its entire chain and, and um, ecosystem oh. and stakeholders, it will fail. Mm -hmm. Because it would assume what the stakeholders need. It mm -hmm. would assume what, you know, the customers need. And this is where, you know, businesses do it right as opposed to non-profit organizations and many times social enterprises. Mm -hmm. Businesses are willing to get their hands dirty mm -hmm. um, to find out what the customers want, yeah. to satisfy and meet the customers. They're driven by the customers' needs, right? And I feel like a lot of times they're also a lot more critical of their own processes. Right as opposed to nonprofits, like you're doing good, mm -hmm. so it's hard to right. be like, oh, cancel this because they're going right. to be better. So it's hard to, to mm -hmm. make that trade off. Right. And it's almost like, okay, just because you're doing good, it's enough. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do good well. Mm. That's a good point. So um, it's basically, I think they're not very different, businesses and nonprofits. In fact, the way, and that's basically the fundamental philosophy of social entrepreneurship, where you're thinking about social problems like a business would think about its services and its you know mm -hmm. systems so fundamentally it's too important and it's and then you come to the conversation especially in social impact and social entrepreneurship circles is who is qualified to solve a problem if you don't have a lived experience, are you qualified to solve a problem? This is an interesting debate that we were having in class the other day. And I want to hear your perspective first. Well, this is what I think. Mm -hmm. I think that um, two things are important um, when we talk about who is qualified. I think a lived experience is important, but it's by far 
shouldn't by far should not be the only thing yeah to to measure what qualifies someone to solve a problem mm-hmm. i think um going back to that quote by that um, australian activist it is about understanding the connection one between you and the problem and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be like that you were in that exact same situation yeah. right um one two is an emotional commitment to the problem not your solution i think that is really mm. what qualifies you to um to 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 solve a problem because it's not something that you earn it's something that you keep earning and there's a type of qualification that comes over a long period of time it's not something that comes in the beginning yeah. um and i tell you this you know i've spoken with even in my space people who've worked on that space for 30 years yeah and they still feel like they're still being qualified mm. you know and so it's that's basically what it is and i think you also have to be willing to reimmerse yourself what do you mean by that for example um you can look at me and say i'm qualified to work on the problem that i'm working on with that specific context mm-hmm. of you know my community and as a result of my own experiences but am i qualified to work on it on a global scale mm. yeah that's a good question so that is where for me for example experiences like no existing is also a part of my process to reimmerse myself and constantly qualify myself to work on the problem and gain a deeper understanding a, a deeper understanding yeah because yeah. yeah the the moment you think that you got it then you don't Mhm. So when we were having that debate in class, mm-hmm. I think I had a similar similar position where I thought likewise I thought there was two two aspects. One just that you care enough to solve mm-hmm. the issue. I didn't think about it in perspective of solution, being passionate about a solution versus a problem, but mm-hmm. I think that's definitely a good clarification. Um so one that you're willing to to do it and and want to see it through. And I guess the second thing is just having an understanding of your effect and a deep enough understanding to know that what you're doing is not going to make it worse. Mhm. Um but I feel like other than that, like that's pretty much it and then you can figure out things as you go, but as long as you aren't making things worse, I guess. Mhm. That's where I think I drew the line where you're qualified to solve this problem or to tackle this issue. Right. And sometimes it's difficult to tell whether you're making it worse or not. especially when you're in the middle of it. True. And this is where, you know, an emotional commitment to the problem becomes very key. Mhm. Um and what I mean what I mean by that is that you're willing to work on this over a long period of time. Because if it's a hit and I I call it hit and run project. If it's a hit and run project, you um if you make a mistake then you're not there to fix it. Yeah. If you're oh, there, yeah. if you, if <laughs> no no <laughs> no. Nah, go ahead, go ahead. If you if you make a wrong and we make mistakes all the time. Think yeah. about it like your normal average life. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't you don't get a break of your life. Mm-hmm. If you make a mistake in your life, it's right there. you will have to f- confront it at some point or another mm-hmm. you know so when you are f- solving a problem that's not 
directly affecting you and you make a mistake and other people are going to be at the brunt this is where you now where you talk about um knowing that you're not hurting and drawing the line at that mm -hmm. that's where drawing the line becomes crucial because if you make a mistake then you're not there to fix it and i when i going back to the first philosophy i said where everybody deserves you know a second chance um i don't think you know um mistakes are irreversible and people should be even afraid of making mistakes i think people should throw themselves out there and make mistakes but then again even coming back to the fundamental principle in terms of you know qualification for solving a problem going back to lived experience mm -hmm. working on the problem problem over a long period of time is a lived experience mm. it's a lived experience in itself so um that's where for me it's those variables there's the lived experience part there's emotional commitment to the problem mm -hmm. and you know all of these things come together to offer qualification and talking about having to remesh yourself over and over again these are some of the things that are just you know too crucial and you can't you know um yeah and when you talk about like and just going back to purpose again um i understand that i might not be working directly with on this problem for the rest of my life mm -hmm. that's pretty clear to me and for example you know like with what i did with erupt this past summer um as time goes on i will be more invested in erupt than i am even with my organization just in general but um you also need to be able to find two things mm -hmm. in any problem that you're passionate about one is a philosophy two is a way of life mm. You need to find those two things in whatever problem you're trying to solve. So what do you mean by philosophy? And the way of life. Okay. Um, first of all, um, give me an idea of a problem, a random problem. Um, the environmental impact of the fashion industry. The, the environmental impact of the fashion industry. That problem would not exist if we all had the philosophy to um, wear fashion conscientiously wear and make fashion conscientiously yeah um and rather the philosophy of taking it, the environment into account first of all while we make and wear fashion yeah. and then the lifestyle of wearing fashion that doesn't harm the environment in the first place mm -hmm. so whether or not you are actively trying to lobby for this problem or create solutions for this problem, mm -hmm. all of that is as important as you imbibing that philosophy personally, mm, yeah, yeah. bringing it into your way of life in terms of what you wear, yeah, for sure, and 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 what you. Like, and how you relate with people on a daily basis. I think the same is true of every problem on earth. Mm. Yeah, especially with the way of life. Because it's really easy to say, like, you have to do this. Mm -hmm. And then you look at 
yourself and like, okay, am I actually doing that? Right. Am I actually living that? Right. Way? And and that's where, to be honest, that's the that's at the center of every problem. Because what do you really want? You want a change of behavior by everyone on earth. That's that's really what you want. So yeah. you you when so coming back to understanding understanding this fundamentally about problems you're trying to solve, mm. this would really help with framing your life beyond what you're actively doing. And it's weird to say actively doing because if you if it's an if it's a philosophy that you truly embrace, believe and that you live out through your lifestyle, then you're actively doing something. Yeah. So, um, so for example, even though I don't work actively with you know um, children on the streets, coming mm-hmm. back, I can't be a dad who is like terrible to my kids. Yeah, that defeats the whole purpose of the work <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, exactly. that I've been doing. Yeah. So this is where that philosophy has to translate into my own personal life. Mm-hmm. This is where it now has to translate into my lifestyle as to how I, you know, I move, as I move through the world, how am I working to make sure mm-hmm. that children around me are protected? And I'm not just talking about, it's easy to, to get on a project to help a kid in India. Yeah. What about my niece? For sure. And I think that definitely, I don't know if it's easier now because I feel like that that's always the case. But with social media, I think it's very easy to go against that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, not even just with social issues, just with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something Pablo and I were talking about in our episode, but uh, just like these business gurus that are like, do this to start a business. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the 10 things you have to do, and they've never done it themselves. Mm-hmm. Like their business is telling you that you have to do that, and mm-hmm. that's all. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just to, just to just say something to that real quick. Someone yeah. said something that I thought was very interesting. He said, "No one, no one ever tells you that. No one ever finds gold <laughs> and makes it a business <laughs> to, to tell everyone where to find gold." Mm-hmm. It's true. No one ever does that. <laughs> Never in the history of mankind has that ever been done. Yeah. If people find a way to make money, they'll be busy making money. Yeah. If you find someone who is busy trying to tell you how to make money, you are their way of making money. It's true. Um, <laughs> and also, with social media where you present this, this image of yourself, um, I mean, it happened over the summer. I think that this was a good example with George Floyd. Everybody mm-hmm. reposting black mm-hmm. squares. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. They were done. It's mm-hmm. like, are you and everybody moves on. Exactly. It's like, okay, are you... Ah, the video stopped again. But are you living that way of life? Mm-hmm. Or are you just presenting that? Because that's the easy part. <laughs> so I think that's another example, speaking about the, philosoph- the philosophy and the way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, is it black squares that would defeat racism? Ultimately... Even the donations aren't go- it's not going to help. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, it's going to be about what individuals think about themselves and think about other people. True. And how they adjust their lifestyle to, to you know, change this. Mm-hmm. And I won't even lie to you. During the summer, when all of that was going on, mm-hmm. and I saw um, you know, celebrities posting you know, these things, I couldn't, I'm not one to, to, you know, 
really criticize people or tell people what to do with their resources. I don't think that's my business. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't help but think, are these people actively putting in their time and their resources mm -hmm. to, first of all, primarily, make life better for the people around them yeah. that are affected by this problem? I'm talking about the people that work for them. I'm yeah. talking about the people, some of them colleagues, that they are in very, very toxic and um, and very harsh competition with, mm -hmm. that they would do anything to 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 get them, um, and then in general, mm -hmm. why do we have to care so much for a dead Judge Floyd than we did a living Judge Floyd? Mm -hmm. No, think about, just think about it, like, why do we have to care so much? If we cared so intensely for George Floyd when he was alive, what would have life felt like? What, what would his mm -hmm. life been like? Just think about that for a second. What would Judge Floyd's life been like if he received this kind of love and support when he was alive? It's true. I think it's very... It was something that I was struggling with this summer as well, asking myself those questions. And it's very easy, like the shock value of it, I think definitely elicits an emotional emotional response that wouldn't have otherwise been felt. Um, but I think it was another thing building off of that. Like even even afterwards, um, if you are, are going to care about afterwards, how do you sustain that mm -hmm. in the long term? Um, and it's something I'm, I'm still struggling with, I guess. But how do you make it last so that it's not just like a week later and you forget about it? And mm -hmm. how do you prevent the next one, I guess? Right. Yeah. So two things I'll say to that is one, um, George Floyd is still alive. In fact, there are millions of George Floyds mm -hmm. that were waiting for the next shocking viral video to care about. Yeah. That doesn't have to be the case. Um, then secondly, I think it goes back to a fundamental human value and virtue. Mm -hmm. that, is not, that is not mutually exclusive from purpose. And it's answering that question. Today, who am I here for? Mm -hmm. Today, this very day, who am I here for? Who can I go out of my way to to serve, to help, to yeah. be kind to, and to, um, and to speak to, mm -hmm. you know, and and so I think that's really, that's really what it is about. So that way, you're not actively trying to do something, or remember something, or not forget something. Mm -hmm. It's just a lifestyle. It's yeah, just it's something you're trying to live. I think, building off that question. Something that I have realized that I do, and I still do, and I try, I try to be better at it, but like last year, for example, when I was building up quality, um, trying to, to push sustainable fashion, I guess, and create impact in that way. Um, and so like everything I was doing was trying to focus on that and, and create impact in that way. But then I had to think to myself, uh, and like by doing that, I would like lock myself away, work all the time, which I don't think is inherently bad. But then 
in day-to-day interactions with like friends and people around me I wouldn't be like the nicest individual all the time or, or like there's just like stuff that I would do that's like I don't know I guess not going or going against the the same values of trying to create impact mm-hmm. um, so I think it's in a way it's easy to chase that big vision mm-hmm. of impact and then it, while you're doing that it's easy to get lost in, in the people that you actually interact with on right. a day-to-day basis around right. you right and I completely agree with you and for me this is personally this is where the way I started out is really one of the things that I guess um, really helps me so I don't even have to remember it it's second nature because mm-hmm. of how I, I didn't start out like writing later letters and uh, with my organization for example I didn't start out writing a vision mm-hmm. <laughs> for the organization yeah. I started out with one human interaction so everything that the organization does from a more bureaucratic point of view is informed by those human inf- interactions mm-hmm. it now seeps deep within me where any other thing and this is where sometimes for me it can be a bad thing mm-hmm. if i don't see how something is going to practically help people it's hard for me to be motivated to do it mm-hmm. i can't f- i can barely find motivation to to do it right yeah. and also it also has affected i can imagine that if a brain scan was done on me before i got into all of this and a brain scan was you know, done after. I can imagine that my brain has altered a great deal mm. because it affects the way I see life. If I see something, yeah. my mind already starts thinking about how this is great for people. Yeah. You know, how this would, for example, I looked at the, the shoe designs that you, you know, made on your Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't just seeing what you were doing. And it wasn't something that I was trying to do. I was seeing those shoes on the feet of people. Yeah. Interesting. I couldn't help it. That was how I was seeing it. And that's how I see life. Even right now, mm-hmm. while, while we're speaking, I can't help but think about the fact that someone is listening to this right now. Even yeah. though someone isn't listening to this <laughs> right now. Do you understand? And that's yeah, why yeah. I... You remember when we were talking earlier and I turned and I was like... And if you are, if you're watching this, I don't. Yeah. So it's it's literally how my brain has literally been, my mind has literally been adapted to actually always think about people. So I think you know, um, it's pointless trying to, you know, change it from outside in. Mm-hmm. It's pointless trying to make a list, a checklist of actions to to do. That's why I think it starts with the philosophy and then it translates into the lifestyle. So, um, and the beautiful thing about that, this is the great news now, and is that mm-hmm. anything you want to become, you can, you can become primarily by first thinking it. Mm. So do you believe in like manifestations and things I don't, like that? I don't, I think it's, I think manifestations are more abstract. Mm-hmm. I think it's more science. Garbage in, garbage out. Mm. I think that's what it is. Mm. It's science. In the information we receive comes into us and forms us. Information, in 
forms us, comes mm -hmm. into us and forms us. Mm -hmm. So if I want to become a certain mm -hmm. way, all I need to do is to look out for a certain type of information and sit on it for a while. And before you know it, I will begin to think that way. And as a man thinks, so is he. It's true. You're what you think. And I think building off of that, have you heard of like the idea that you're an average of your five or uh, an average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Yeah. Um, which I think is a, a similar mm -hmm. aspect. And with that, I've been trying as well with like Instagram. I unfollowed all like the meme accounts that I, I followed, <laughs> which is like, it, it's something small, but still, I feel it's like... It's significant because every time you turn on, you choose who you follow, but mm -hmm. who you follow now creates you because that's what you're looking at. It's true, exactly. And I've been trying to think of it more as content like your diet, like like trying to... It is your diet. That's exactly what it is. Exactly. And it's everything. Things. It's the thing, it, things you don't think about. It's the music you listen to. Mm. It's the movies you watch. It's, that's why if I watch, personally, mm -hmm. if I watch music, sorry, if I watch movies that are... If, when I watch movies, one of two things happen. Yeah. My mind either takes that information and automatically processes it in the way my mind is already set up to work yeah. or my mind fights it mm. and tries to reject to it reject whatever it is that you know is for example if i'm watching or listening to something that's very anti-human anti-people mm -hmm. my mind would automatically fight it it's it's going to be sometimes i even discover in retrospect that's why i couldn't finish that series that's why i couldn't finish that movie because it's very anti-people mm -hmm. you know and for me that's for example one of the most fundamental like things right um and or my mind interprets it differently automatically it just interprets it in a different Oh, like tries Light. to mold it into the way that you want yeah. to see it. So it, it's 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 in little things, the things you see on your feed, the things, the people you follow. The these are the there's the saying that you are the same person. You're going to be the same person in five years, except for the books you read and the people that you meet. Hmm. So it's literally exactly what you said about you are an average of the five people that you. It's the principle of it. Yeah. It's a principle of it because all of this are info it's information you're collecting. It's a, mm -hmm. so that's why for me it's more or less it's more science than it is abstract or art. Yeah. It is exactly what you will get out of it. Like it's like a sponge. You're yeah. not gonna soak a sponge in vodka and squeeze it and then orange juice comes out. Yeah, interesting. It's more like a math equation, I guess. Like yeah, basically one side that has to balance out yeah. eventually. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, I think fundamentally, people want to, that's why for change makers, I, I think this is also the principle of lived experience. Um, it's not just because, oh, you need to check off a, a, uh, a social, I guess, checklist for qualification to work on the social issues, yeah. uh, to work on social issues. I think it is the principle that if you've lived through something, Mm -hmm. it's going to inform your values and your way of life. Mm. That's been something I've been trying to think about more. And like you mentioned reflection. 
-hmm. And I think that is, it's funny because in high school, um, my school did a ton of reflections. Like after every activity, everything, you would have to write a reflection and I would hate it. I hated reflections. I would never want to do it. I would always like try to BS it as much as possible. But now I'm realizing that that's like in a way that's, I don't know, this sounds corny, but like a superpower to... It is a superpower. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between man, human beings and a buffalo? In a what? A buffalo. Or it's an animal. It's a... (laughs) Oh, a buffalo. A buffalo. So what's the difference between a man and a buffalo, a lion or a tiger or a dog? What's the difference? The ability to To reflect and reflect on on your own. Yeah, because animals can think and they can think critically too. True. But I guess the self-awareness. Yes, that's basically what it is. Um, But guess what? Many people, this superpower, Mm -hmm. many people don't use. It's true. It's easy, and even sometimes I don't. It's easy to just go through things and mm-hmm. and not think about them. Because also part of it is you have to challenge yourself. To and think a lot of, of times, yeah. the the reflection is you ended up doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. You have to like mm-hmm. tell yourself, "Hold mm-hmm. up, your life isn't perfect. You're not perfect. Right. You messed up." And There's that's ways hard. to improve. It is hard. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. All right, that's been almost an hour and a half. Wow. Um, <laughs> that, that went by fast. Yeah. Um, I don't want to take this on too long, but thank you again for all your time. No, thank you. Uh, is there anything, I guess, you want to plug? Or Well, first of all, thank you. Um, and, you know, as someone personally who likes to like, listen to stuff like this and go through the motions like this, I think for people who... Um, who are listening to this I think it's just beyond them listening to something it's a challenge for them to have like this kind of conversations with themselves with other people mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to also make a recommendation if you have friends you can't talk to, we can't talk about stuff with you need new friends <laughs> <laughs> it's true yeah. you know many people don't have friends that can talk through you know stuff and just you know stuff like that and mm-hmm. um, it's always Let's go party. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. Let's go do that. Um, but I think, I think that's that. But I, um, thank you for doing this. And I mean, personally, I, 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 I didn't come here as anything but someone who just wanted to have a great conversation. And there are many things from this conversation that I, um, that, I'm, um, that I've learned from, um, that, I'm, that has made me think. Mm-hmm. Um, about stuff and when you're trying to figure stuff out don't just think about it as a destination it will frustrate you mm-hmm. well because it isn't the destination and it, if you're always chasing a destination there's always another one w- yes and so that's the recipe for living an unfulfilled life mm. you you have to be willing to you have to just understand that it's a constant process it's a constant process you are going to constantly um you know have to keep figuring you know stuff out life is like life is literally like a river um there's an african proverb and i think it's it's also i think it's also a physics 
law as well that you can't step into the same river twice what do you mean by that because if you step into a river and oh. you take out your foot it's a different river the the moment you yeah. it's already gone you when you put your leg it's a different river now mm -hmm. so that's exactly how life is and that's why you have to constantly um Refocus? Yeah, refocus. Basically, you have to constantly refocus. Imagine if you had a camera that just has one setting, so forth. You take the most, you know, <laughs> ridiculous pictures. But yeah. that's that's all I had to say. Um, I'm looking forward to even listening to this again. So thank you so much, Jordan. Appreciate thank it. You. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed. If you watched up until this point or listened up until this point, I appreciate you. If you're on YouTube, leave a comment with like something that, that resonated. Or if you're listening to this audio only, send me a DM of something that resonated. I'd love to hear back from you if anybody <laughs> listens this far. But yeah, peace.